Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us. I hope you're having a great day. We're thrilled about all of you who have recently joined us here at Open Your Eyes, and thanks for subscribing to our podcast. And thank you for your messages and feedback. It's great to hear from you. You know, for our new listeners, our mission here at Open Your Eyes is to help us all open our eyes a bit more to the possibilities and realities all around us. And that includes the immense potential you have inside to reach your goals and become who you were meant to become. And each week, we try to bring messages to this podcast that will help you in real and practical ways to live to your potential. So today, wherever you are as you listen to this podcast, I hope you get a new perspective of how you can think and live better. Now, if this podcast inspires you a bit, please share it with a friend. You know, it's easy to copy the link and share it and include a word of encouragement for a friend. And that's how we fulfill our mission a bit more for more people. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about building and investing in your brand. Almost every person in North America is familiar with the Super Bowl. It started in 1967 when the two professional football conferences started playing a championship at the end of the season. The location of the Super Bowl changes every year. It's been held in Miami 11 times, New Orleans 10 times, Los Angeles 7, and a variety of other cities. The average ticket price last year at the Super Bowl, just over $3,000. Now. Not everyone in North America watches the Super Bowl. Well, I take that back. All but a few people watch the Super Bowl. You see, last year, 208 million people watched the Super Bowl. In other words, two-thirds of all adults in the United States and Canada tuned in for the annual event. In fact, the only television broadcast to get higher viewership than a Super Bowl in United States history was the Apollo 11 landing of U.S. astronauts on the moon. In Canada, the most-watched television event in history was the gold medal hockey game at the 2010 Winter Olympics between the U.S. and Canada. Now, interestingly, the most-watched broadcast in Germany was the 2014 FIFA World Cup. In India, the 2011 Cricket World Cup. In the Philippines, it was the 2006 boxing match between Manny Pacquiao and Eric Morales. And in Poland, it was the funeral of Pope John Paul II. And in Australia and several other countries, it was the funeral of Diana, Princess of Wales. So why do we, here in North America, tune into the Super Bowl anyway? Well, over the years, the audience for the Super Bowl has grown beyond those interested in football. Today, a growing percentage of those who watch the Super Bowl aren't even there to watch the game itself. They're there for the experience and the commercials. According to the Wall Street Journal, the average ad time during the Super Bowl on television and cable is 13 minutes in every hour, roughly 22% of the broadcast time. And it's estimated that advertisers spend $70 billion in advertising at the Super Bowl. Now, in a typical week, consumers go to great effort to avoid watching ads. In fact, it's one of the reasons for the success of YouTube TV and other streaming options because You just don't want to watch them. But all of that changes on one day each year. 
Because during the Super Bowl, consumers watch on average 89 commercials for an average of 46 and a half minutes. That's right. You and a lot of other people tune in to watch the commercials. And as a result, advertisers are willing to pay a substantial premium for Super Bowl ads. The average cost of a single 30-second spot is well over $6.5 million, which amounts to $217,000 per second. And the price goes up for those ads about 20% each year. Last year, Anheuser-Busch spent over $52 million on Super Bowl ads, and Pepsi wasn't far behind them. Now, in advertising, there's a term called CPMs. CPM stands for the cost per thousand impressions. An impression is when a user sees an advertisement. And in practice, an impression occurs every time a user opens an app or website and an advertisement is visible. And a few years ago, the average CPM for advertising on Facebook was $11 per impression. On Instagram, it was about $5.50. And on typical national cable TV, $16. But during the Super Bowl, the CPM is $45. So how does the Super Bowl get away with selling ads at a cost of $45 per impression? Well, because it's the biggest stage in the world. And those brands that advertise there are seeking the spotlight of the moment, hoping it will bring them notoriety. And it works, in part, for a brief time. For example, one of the most famous ads ever done was by Pepsi, and the ad featured supermodel Cindy Crawford. And in the commercial, she pulls up in a red sports car to an old-fashioned gas station in what appears to be a small, dusty town. And Crawford emerges from her car wearing a white tank top and cut-off denim shorts. Two young boys watch in awe as she appears to walk in slow motion towards a Pepsi vending machine. She buys a can of soda and takes a drink. And over the soundtrack of the song, Just One Look, the boys stare over the fence at Crawford. And one boy finally asks, wonderstruck, is that a great new Pepsi can or what? And the other boy responds, open-mouthed, it's beautiful. Now, while this was a clever ad, and one that captured the viewer's attention, Pepsi is not the most powerful brand in the world, not even close. In fact, Pepsi is a far second to soft drink rival Coca-Cola in terms of brand value. And Coca-Cola isn't even close to the most powerful brand in the world. Do you know what the most powerful brand in terms of brand impact and value in the world is today? Well, if you went international in your thinking and guessed Tencent, the parent of WeChat, you were wrong. Tencent is number five in the world. If you guessed Google, you again were wrong. Google is number four in the world. And that's saying something because think about how many times a day you see the Google brand on your phone, on your computer, and even in our language. Google it has become a defined phrase in the English language today. You know, each day there are 5.6 billion searches done on Google. It's a powerful brand. But there are three brands bigger than Google. Can you guess who they are? Well, number three is Microsoft. Number two is Apple. And number one is, no, it's not McDonald's or Visa or Alibaba or Nike or Disney. The most powerful brand in the world is Amazon. But Amazon doesn't spend as much on advertising as Procter & Gamble or McDonald's or Allstate, T-Mobile, Domino's, Geico, or other brands. They all outspend Amazon. 
Geico spends almost $70 billion in annual ad spending. In fact, for a lot of years, Amazon spent very little on advertising. So if it wasn't through advertising, how did the world's most powerful brand become a brand that people place value in and recognize? Well, let's answer that question. But before we do, let's talk about what a brand is and isn't. More than a century ago, cattle ranchers used branding irons to indicate which animals were theirs. And as the cattle moved to slaughterhouses, it was easy to determine which ranches the cows came from because each head of cattle was branded. So to say your brand is your name or the name of your product or company is accurate, but not complete. Over the years, marketers have worked to create a specific perception in customers' minds of the qualities and attributes associated with their brand. So a brand is the way a product, company, or individual is perceived by those who experience it or them. It's what someone thinks when they hear or see your brand. And whether you think so or not, in today's day and age, you have a brand. We all do. Simply stated, your brand is the perception in other people's minds of the qualities and attributes associated with you, with your brand. And the lessons we learn from brand building can and do apply to you and me to building our brand, so to speak. So whether you think you have a brand or not, you do, you have a brand. We all have a brand. And each day we're building, shaping, and creating that brand. And whether you are building a business or raising a family, building a resume or anything else, your brand can help you or hurt you along the way. A brand is more than reputation. It represents a mark of trust and confidence in you. And some of you who are building a business may benefit from knowing the proven brand building lessons that apply to you and your brand. Because if you put a few of these lessons to work on your brand, then they can help you not only create a mark that lasts in life, but also steer you to a more purposeful pattern of living. So, what is the first step in brand building? Knowing what your customers or team or family want from your brand. You know, if you have a toddler or you're a grandparent to a toddler, you're familiar with the huge children entertainment juggernaut called Coco Melon. My grandchildren are all intoxicated by Coco Melon. Seriously, so much so that you have to give it to them in doses. Otherwise, they go out of their minds for Coco Melon. At my house, we call it crack for grandkids. Last year, kids watched 33 billion minutes of Coco Melon. On Netflix, kids and parents and grandparents watched Coco Melon more than huge hit Netflix series like Squid Game and Bridgerton combined. On Netflix, Coco Melon has been in the top 10 shows for most of the last several years. On YouTube, Coco Melon has 3.6 billion, with a B, views. Now, Coco Melon's parent company, Moonbug Entertainment, scours YouTube looking for kids' programming and buys up the brands. And to get their hands on the Coco Melon brand, in February, two Disney alums paid $3 billion for the company and are building the Coco Melon brand in even bigger ways. Their first move was to put Coco Melon excerpts on TikTok. Well, if you go back in 2005, J.G. On, a father of two Southern California kids who had directed a few TV commercials, was trying to teach his kids the ABCs. His wife was an illustrator 
So working together, they came up with the idea to create a show around JJ, a blonde, curly-headed toddler. They created some animated videos and posted them to the internet after seeing how much their kids loved them. Their kids' reaction had given them confidence to give it a try. So they started to refine and improve the concept. Now, their concept uses nursery rhymes that parents and kids can sing together. And they learned that kids need repetition. So the songs repeat themselves over and over again, allowing toddlers to learn the phrases and the words. In fact, you think this would drive parents crazy, but parents watch Coco Melon. My son-in-law Jensen is a huge Coco Melon fan. Next, Jay and his wife used their knowledge of illustration and designed the shows to be shot from a low perspective. So it looks like you're looking at things from the perspective of a toddler. Then they learned not to use any sharp corners in the characters or backgrounds and to use bright colors. But the most noticeable characteristic is that the characters have big eyes on their faces. And one expert says, the characters in Coco Melon often have larger heads and faces, which means babies and children are naturally drawn to them just as they are to the faces of people in real life. Well, Jay created Coco Melon from a toddler's perspective. And when he switched to 3D animation, everything became that much easier. They even worked on their brand over the years, finally landing on Coco Melon because it's both unique and easy for kids to say. Now, Jay later sold the brand for an undisclosed amount of money, and some estimate it was approximately $500 million dollars. But today, the brand earns about $120 million per year. Here's the point. Building a juggernaut brand like Coco Melon took a prolonged and deliberate effort of discovering what kids wanted and improving and refining it along the way. You see, too often we think we can make a website or a Facebook page with pictures of smiling faces and think that's a brand. That's not a brand. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amazon and Coco Melon didn't grow their primary brand through advertising. They created a product that was so fundamentally attractive that users wanted it, and they understood how to deliver that promise to users, and users came their way. They worked at it, refined it, and relied on the product itself to do the talking, not ads. And if I could pass on any advice to you as you build your brand, Do the same. Make it fundamentally useful and helpful. Make yourself fundamentally useful and helpful because nothing will build your brand so much as that. Too many people think it's the superficial, the images, the facade, but it's who you are and how much value you provide that will create a lasting brand. So how do you build a brand? How do you build a reputation of value? How do you build trust in your brand? And how do you live and behave so that people come to trust you? Well, the first step, as we just mentioned, is to know what is needed. Answer the question, what do people need from me or my product? Now, if you're building a business, you might think it is only the product you represent, but not so fast. Your customers need more and are looking for more than your product. They're teaming up with you because they need you. It's likely they need emotionally intelligent support that encourages them. They need insights and ideas. They need a partner who can ebb and flow with them. They need encouragement, 
Have you discovered what your customers need from you? As a parent, have you really defined what your kids need? It's more than someone who loves them or attends their soccer games or feeds them. Perhaps it's they need someone who can model what curiosity looks like or how to try new things or how to be resilient and not react to what other people say or think or who stands up for what's right and moral, who find joy in service. Do you know what they really need? Well, my experience is that we often fail in creating a brand because we don't adequately assess what people or consumers are looking for. This is something I learned as a young manager at Procter & Gamble. P&G is perhaps the best brand-building company in the world. They have built mega brands like Tide and Cascade and Downey, Crest, Vicks, Olay, Old Spice, Tampax, Bounty, Charmin, and more. And one of my first assignments at P&G was on the secret deodorant brand. What I learned was brand building was a relentless pursuit of excellence. Our antiperspirant products were tested, refined, and tested again year after year. Now, I didn't believe it at first, but consumers were recruited to try the antiperspirant, wear it all day, and come into our research center for testing. And that testing included expert sniffers sniffing armpits to assess the lasting effects of fragrance and other properties. Diapers, tampons, and other personal care products were tested with similar precision. Most of all, P&G sought consumer feedback relentlessly, both in the lab and in surveys. My wife and I were young, poor parents when I first started working at P&G after graduate school. So we got diapers for free by picking up test boxes at the testing center, using them, saving them, and bringing them to the testing center once a week and answering a barrage of questions about our preferences and experience. That is how you make winning brands. So, when your customers have finished using your product or service, when team members reflect on your relationship with them, when your kids look back on their life with you, how do you want them to describe their experience? If you know what your business partners or kids or customers or friends really value in you or your product, if you do, you have a winning brand concept. Next, once you know what your audience or team really needs from you, create a brand promise. A brand promise is one or two sentences which internally communicates what the customers expect from all products and services under your brand. It aligns people's efforts in your organization and keeps your organization from developing something that is out of scope for the brand. A brand promise in your life or for your brand makes all the difference. For example, do you know what the brand promise is for this podcast? I try to remember it all the time and I often fall short, but it helps me immensely. And the promise is that people who listen to this podcast leave feeling encouraged in their life and more able to find greater happiness as a result. Now, sometimes in my podcasts, I try to talk directly to you and tell you that you can do what you set out to do. I want you to know that regardless of your circumstances or past or current challenges, you can stand and rise and be what you were meant to be. And I believe deeply that God has endowed you with gifts. And because of that, You can overcome, prevail, persist, and make your life and your brand remarkable. You know, one day, 
I was sitting in an audience listening to motivational speaker Les Brown, and during his speech, he paused and looked directly at us and started to talk to us. He said, if you set your goals and go after them with all the determination you can muster, your gifts will take you places that amaze you. And I felt something shoot through me. And I realized that to bring my God-given gifts to bear, I had to be purposeful. I had to take some risks and give up things that were standing in my way. And I feel the same about you, that you've been given great gifts. Perhaps it is to love or lead or lift, but if you will be purposeful in the doing with all you can muster, those gifts will take you places that will amaze you. And don't ever doubt that you are anything less than able to amaze. You see, without a brand promise for this podcast, I could get caught up in trying to sound intelligent or other unimportant topics. But if I remember the value I provide is the encouragement and faith I share, then I'm more likely to stay on the right path. Now, Apple has one of the most powerful brands in the world. Their brand promise started as a shrug to IBM, who was the monster competitor when Apple got started years ago. At the time, IBM had a one-word slogan, think. So Apple's brand promise was think different. It was a shrug to IBM. And that's what they've tried to do since. And they've also tried to provide products that allow their customers to do the same. Apple has incredible brand loyalty, as measured by the percentage of customers who buy new Apple phones after previously owning iPhones. For the last three years, Apple customer loyalty has surpassed 90%. Now, to deliver their brand promise of thinking differently, they have some imperatives. Some of those imperatives they talk about are walking in the customer's shoes, being different, leveraging emotions, not fearing failure, being consistent, and surrounding themselves with great talent and skills. And you can see that by their following these elements of their brand promise, they have built a product and a brand that is trustworthy. So what is your brand promise as a business owner or podcaster, mother, friend, or any other way you're trying to impact the world? Have you written it down? If not, take five minutes today and write your brand, your promise to your team or family or business. Type it into your Apple phone and save it in your notes. Reflect on it and let it take root and it will have an impact. Next, decide how you're going to keep that brand promise. You know, in MBA school in marketing class, they will tell you to structure your organization, your entire operation to deliver on your brand promise. You'll also learn that it's important to abandon any activity that doesn't contribute to meeting that brand promise because aligning yourself and your team solely on that promise will make all the difference. Agnès Boyanjiu was born in August of 1910 to an Albanian family in the capital city of North Macedonia. And true to her family's tradition, she was baptized the day after her birth. She was the youngest child in her family and her father died when she was only eight years old. And by the time she was 12, she had decided that she would be committed to her faith, to her family's religious life. And she made a promise to herself one day while at the Shrine of the Black Madonna in Vitina, Kosovo. 
And that promise was to give herself, her life, to relieving the suffering of the poor and poor in spirit. So, true to her promise, at age 18, she joined the Sisters of Loretto at the Loretto Abbey in Ireland. And there she learned English and taught school. Not long after that, she was assigned to the Loretto Mission in India. There she learned Bengali and taught at a school at St. Teresa's near her convent. Two years later, she took her religious vows and took a new name. And the name she chose was Teresa, after the patron saint of missionaries and the school where she taught. You see, she loved teaching in the lower Himalayas, but the poverty in Calcutta was constantly on her mind. One day, as she was traveling by train to the Loretto Convent from Calcutta after an annual retreat, she received a call, a feeling from heaven. She said the call was, I was to leave the convent and help the poor while living among them. So she did. She got basic medical training, discarded her religious wardrobe for a simple white cotton sari, and opened a small school to train other young women who wanted to help the poorest of the poor. But during those first few years, she had to beg for food and supplies. She doubted, was lonely, and was tempted to return to the convent where life was easier. She said, during this time, I learned what it was like to be poor. While looking for a home, I walked and walked till my arms and legs ached. Finally, she found some support for her cause. And in 1952, Teresa opened up her first hospice with help from the Calcutta officials. She converted an abandoned Hindu temple to a home for the dying. Those housed there got medical attention and some dignity during their final days and weeks of life. She then opened a hospice for lepers, calling it the City of Peace, and also opened up other leprosy outreach efforts. Then, because she was successful and her reputation grew, she garnered the means to open a children's home for homeless children and youth. And all of this began to attract donations. And again, as her reputation grew, she was able to open leper houses and orphanages throughout India. By 1997, the little Calcutta group of 13 sisters that she founded had grown to more than 4,000 sisters who managed orphanages, AIDS hospices, and charity centers that cared for refugees, the blind, disabled, aged, alcoholics, and the homeless. Her brand, if you will, her reputation for doing good grew. From the Indian government, she received many awards. She was honored by the Order of Australia, the UK, the United States, including the Order of Merit and Honorary Citizenship. Universities granted her honorary degrees. And in 1979, Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize. In each case, instead of an award, she asked that the costs of the ceremony and awards be given to the poor in India. Now, Mother Teresa has been commemorated by museums and named the patroness of several churches. She has buildings and roads named after her, including Albania's International Airport. And she's lived up to the promise that she made that day in a small church in Kosovo. Now, before her death, Mother Teresa made a public promise, another promise. She said, if I ever become a saint, I will surely be one of darkness. I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those who live in darkness on earth. She aligned her life to her promise. And as a result, 
her reputation, her influence, and her ability to keep that promise increased, and the gifts she'd been given shined forth for the world to see. And her name, her brand, if you will, will be known for decades to come because of how she lived to that promise. Now, you and especially me may not be able to do what Mother Teresa has done, or our brand or name may never be thought of like hers, but we can follow her example and whatever promise we put forward in our life, our business, or ourselves, we can stick with it and align our actions to meet our brand promise. Brands, strong brands, reputations for good, deliver on their promise. Next, communicate your promise. Now, today, we have so many ways to communicate what we do and how we're trying to make a difference in the world. And I do believe that your brand must be communicated. Otherwise, how do people hear about your business or brand or intent in life? For example, if you're a parent and you've decided on the type of parent you want to be, and you've written your promise and aligned your actions to deliver on that promise, it helps if your family knows what you're all about. You know, when I was a kid and my parents put boundaries on my behavior, it was so helpful to know why and to what end they had in mind for me, why they were putting those boundaries there. Communicate your promise. When leading an organization, communicate your promise. There's something powerful that happens when people know what your brand is all about. And if you're about helping people get out of debt and you're passionate about it, let people know. If you're about helping people find greater wellness, align yourself to that promise and let people know. Now, one caution is this. In the process of communicating, remember, it's not about you. If it's about you, then it doesn't matter what your promise or intent is. It'll be lost in your communication efforts. I've seen too many people try to self-promote without being self-aware. So be genuine. Be clever if you need to be. Be strategic. But avoid being egotistic. Now last, in building your brand, be consistent. The idea here is to develop trust. And your customers must no longer see your brand as a promise, but as a reality. Consistency is often the hardest part, but it is the part with the greatest rewards. Over time, sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's monotonous to be consistent, but consistency pays. Over time, a well-managed brand will stop relying on a brand promise because it relies on consistent performance. So, whether you're building a brand to grow a business, to help other people, to raise good kids, or to do some measure of good in the world, remember, a brand begins with a promise, a promise of what you're about. And make sure that promise is grounded in good understanding of what your customers or team are looking for. Like Amazon, you don't need a lot of ads or posts, but you do need a product that people value. And like Coco Melon, take time to refine your brand promise as you better understand your customers. Then, align your actions, your life, your business actions with your promise. And like Mother Teresa, stick to that promise even when tempted to abandon the promise because things get tough. Then, remember, consistency in living up to that promise builds trust as you communicate your promise to others. If you do this, watch. You, your brand, your reputation, your business, and life 
will prosper to places that only your gifts can take you. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And please don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.